all it is is a date that divides us. And I think that's pretty sad. Um, and that's one of the topics I want to talk about today is unity, and then Thanksgiving, and ultimately the gospel, and how they connect. So first we're going to go through, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of Bible verses here, so if, you're, if you have fast fingers and you're good at looking up, you can turn with me to them. If you don't and you got a pen and paper, if you want to write them down and look at them later just to verify that what I'm seeing is in the Bible, uh, that would be great. I want to take a look at what the Bible says about the importance of unity and what the picture of unity looks like. If any of you have heard of Rabbi Zacharias, he's a author and speaker I quite enjoy listening to. And he, he uh, said this, and I thought it was really profound. He says, never confuse unity with uniformity. Never confuse unity with uniformity. Unity does not mean that all Christians sing the same songs. It doesn't mean that we all like the same music style. It doesn't mean that we all pray the same way. It doesn't mean that our worship services always look alike. It doesn't mean we agree on every point of Scripture. I want to look at this topic in two sections. First, the case for unity, why must we be united, and how are we to be united? So the case for unity goes like this. Why must we be united? We are given this command. It's as simple as that. We are commanded to be unified. I'm going to read some of these, starting in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. It says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. This is Jesus speaking this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also, meaning his disciples, my prayer is not for them being the disciples, says I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a purpose to unity, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather together to eat, you should all eat together. Even eating, as we did last week, with communion should be done together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Next page over probably in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 23. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. A couple pages over, 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. I have a lot of verses here, but it's not because I, I necessarily think I need to convince you of this importance, but I think sometimes it helps me to realize God takes this incredibly seriously. He takes the fact that unity and love are incredibly important to him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then a little later on in chapter 3 of 1 John, 23 and 24. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7-12 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This love, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. If you're kind of cynical, like I sometimes am, you might be thinking, okay, what kind of controversial theological issue is he going to get me to try and accept next? Because there must be a point to all this. He's got a, um, a secret agenda here. Uh, that's, that's sometimes what I think. But actually, I, I, I don't. I just want to really point out um, 
how important that is to Christ. Something I think too that happens a lot of times in our, for me, what I was taught is it's so important to love people outside the church. And it is, absolutely. But even to a greater extent, I believe it's important for us to love those inside the church. Numerous times in these verses, it says, that is how others will know that he lives in us, is by our love for each other. Absolutely, it's important to love those people. We need that. But they're not merely going to be watching how we love them, but how we love each other and how we treat each other and whether we feel the need to associate with each other, to treat each other in a respectful, kind, loving manner. That's what people are longing for, is to see that kind of love and relationship played out in the real world. I think the command for unity is clear. I don't even think it's questionable. I don't think you can question, does God really want us to be unified? But sometimes I think it's a child in me. The command is not enough. I want to know why. And I think we've just talked about that. So that others would know. So that others will see who God is and what his love is for us. When we love someone, we are inspired to serve them. And when we love someone, we seek to do and to know what pleases them. I'm going to read some quotes here from uh, children who were asked what love is. And I think these are a great picture. This is Rebecca, age 8, says, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love love is service. When someone loves you, this is Billy, age four. This is kind of an interesting one. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. You know they're going to treat you well. They're going to speak to you nicely when you love someone. When someone loves you. Chrissy, age six, says, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Terry, age four, says, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age seven, says, love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Love is taking the bullet of nasty coffee. Nika, age six, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Tommy, age six. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Claire, age six. My mummy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. Elaine, age five. Love is when mummy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Love is action. Love is service. Love is demonstrated. It can be seen. Um, to quote a DC Talk song, love is a verb. That's true. It is a feeling, but it also is an action. It's something we can live out and act on. Matthew chapter 25, 
verse 34 to 40, says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we serve others, we serve Christ. When we love others, we serve them. As we show love through our service, we are reflecting Christ. People outside our church here and outside our community of churches watch how we treat each other. One of the biggest reasons, I think, for people to stay or leave a church is whether or not they feel connected. Connection is relationship, love, and unity. These are what people want to see. These are what people want demonstrated, and they want to feel. It's what they long for. When we show them how different and diverse people treat one another, they know that must be something worth investigating. And that thing is Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 to 16 says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our love for one another should be shown in our deeds, words, and our treatment of others. No one can see my feelings for my wife unless I act on them. If you see my, me ignoring my wife or giving her the cold shoulder, you'd maybe assume that I don't love her very much. And I think if that was the case that I did, that you could think that. That would be reasonable. But the purpose of our love, of our actions, is to show Christ to one another and to the world around us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We as believers are to be unified through love. That love comes from Christ. To reflect and honor him before others. This is the whole point of unity and love. It's not just so that we merely follow God's command for the sake of his command, but so that we are an example. We are a, a chosen people for that job. For that job of making his name famous of making his name attractive. We are the representation of that. This is an incredibly high calling. And it's something that can't be done except through the power of Christ. That being said, it is a process. It does take intentionality. And it requires work. It requires an effort on our part. Ephesians 4, 1-6 15 to 16 says this As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope 
when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect. I just want to read that again. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are called to unity for the work of Christ that we might bring him on. That we might see, sorry, that others might see what we do and how we treat each other. And that as Matthew 5 verse 16 says, as we let our light shine before others, they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. I don't say this because I've got this figured out. I, I, what I write and what I do is what I see I'm lacking in. And my attitude sometimes is an attitude of, I can get along without people, I can do this on my own, uh, that's difficult, this is easy, I'm going to go this way. It's easier to, to not be friends, it's easier to not make an effort for that person, it's easier to sneak out and not have a conversation with that person. But it's difficult. And it takes work, it takes intentionality, and it takes the spirit. Transitioning a little bit to Thanksgiving. Now, it's, it's the time of year, ironically, it's one time of year. I like these celebrations, but I think, you know, we, we are supposed to be thankful for what we have and what we're blessed with. But thankfulness is something that should be practiced, I think, every day. It's an attitude, again, that requires intentionality. And perspective is everything when it comes to thankfulness. There's a phrase that has sort of been cropping up in everything that I do, and it's been really applicable uh, in a lot of things. In, in the attitude and the perspective that we as Christians should portray. And the idea is having an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective being a view of life understanding it in the light of eternity. That we view life through the light of eternity. It's like looking at every situation as if we have God-given lenses or glasses to see things. Understanding the level of importance that our circumstances should have in our minds in the light of the gospel and eternity. Have any of you watched or read Pollyanna? Pollyanna plays a game called the Glad Game. And I think on the surface, sometimes it might seem a little simplistic, like it's maybe a denial of life's reality and harshness. But I really believe that is the attitude as believers we should have. Pollyanna always tries to find the positive in every situation that she sees. Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter how negative it is, she always finds something to be glad for, to be thankful for. Some people, I think, believe that Christians have a tendency to merely keep that attitude because they feel like that's what they're supposed to have and they actually want to, they, they should be mourning things, but there's the right, there's the right opportunity for mourning, but there is always something to be thankful for. As believers in Christ, we have that, we have that major thing to be thankful for. 
in our darkest moments, on our greatest defeats, we know that in Jesus' eyes, we are loved. We are perfected, we are precious, and we are His. Acts 4, verse 12, says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. As believers, we have that promise. That Hosea chapter 13, verse 14 states, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Everything can be going right for us. But the promise of Christ, the promise of eternal life, should always be our priority and what we are most thankful for. And on the other side of that, when it seems that nothing is going right, that everything is going wrong, that should still be the anchor that we're focused on, is that we have eternal life in Christ, that we are loved, and that he has us right where he wants us. It might seem very unfair, but I think that's thanksgiving at its heart. What it should be is Christ. Not the food, not the harvest, not the good year, not a time maybe to see, well, here's what I don't have to be thankful for, but a time to thank, be thankful for what Christ has done for us, for his mercy and his grace. So, the gospel of Christ and relating to these themes of unity and thanksgiving. I think we've talked about them a little bit, but we're just going to plumb that a little bit more here. Many people will naturally flock together because of a common affinity for something. You'll see farmers come to gather together, and people in different careers gather together. Maybe that they enjoy golf, and so they like talking about their golf game or where they've golfed. Uh, working in similar industries, similar age of children, similar political um, ideas, or just common interests and hobbies. There's a lot of unifiers that can bring people together and set aside the differences. You see people that you would normally never see together, and they talk and they laugh, and they have conversations because of that one thing that normally would never bring those two people together. How much more important is that thing being the gospel? How much more important of a thing to bring us together, to unify us, to put aside our differences, to cause people who from various social situations, various reputations, come together, put aside the differences, and love one another, and talk, and communicate and show the love of Christ. The body of Christ is extremely diverse. It has the wealthy, the poor, the athletes, the non-athletes, people from many different backgrounds. It has every, every conceivable type of people. And they would not ever be seen together if it wasn't for the fact that the gospel transcends culture, time, space, social situation, everything. As Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is that which puts all else or is who, I should say. Jesus is who 
puts all else into perspective. It doesn't matter our bank account, or the size of our house, our position in the community, or what we drive. Revelations chapter 3, verse 17 says this, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's pretty stark. Sin and separation from God brings us all to the exact same point. Without Christ, we are nothing. Without his blessing and salvation, we are poor, blind, pitiful, naked, and wretched. But through his work on the cross, we are called as children. The gospel is the greatest tool of unity and equality that the world has ever seen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 13 says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The critical doctrine that unity depends on to us as Christians is this. Salvation is found in no one else. Unity should be around the center, centered around Christ. Whether it's our common salvation or the fact that we are called to reflect him or whatever it may be. Salvation is found in no one else. That is critical, and it is the main point of unity. At the beginning, I mentioned a quote I heard by Rabbi Zacharias, where he said, Do not confuse unity with uniformity. We will not all look the same, but we all have the same Savior. Today, if you haven't responded to the gospel, if you haven't responded to Jesus as your Savior, if you'd like to join a group of people who here and worldwide are imperfect but are in the process of being perfected and sanctified, if you'd like to know how you can be thankful even in the down seasons, if you'd like to know the stability of where you stand in the light of eternity, and if you'd like to know the Savior who died for you, then the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you and for me and for all of us here. In summary, we have to come to a place. Oh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. This, these are what salvation, the process, at the beginning process of salvation looks like. We must come to a place where we recognize our sin, our need of a savior, and that Jesus paid the price for all, and that we can be redeemed by Him. Romans 3, 22 and 24 says, sorry, 22 to 24 says, this righteousness is given through faith 
in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we are to verbally confess Jesus as our Savior and to believe that is true. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Thirdly, we are to live out our decision. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repenting is to admit error and correct it, to confront the reality of sin in our lives, and to live in a new manner after. And baptism, to signify and demonstrate the conviction that we have that we are washed and made new from sin by Christ. So now to summarize. I think we can recognize the fact that unity and love go hand in hand. We don't have to ignore the differences between us as believers. Unity means love and honesty, speaking the truth in love. It means that if we believe that other believers are behaving counter to the word of God, then confrontation and love is required. Love also requires that we listen and reflect on what they have to say. When we show love to others, especially to other believers, we are showing the example of Christ's love. Our job as a unified body is to honor Christ through supporting each other in our common salvation. It is on me, it is on us, to reach out to other believers on love. We may not agree with everything, but we can recognize that our common affinity and love comes from Christ. Be thankful. Be thankful for each other. Be thankful for salvation. And be thankful for how you've been blessed. Desire to learn to appreciate others. Sometimes that has to come first. First, we have to want to love the other before we can actually love the other. Want to love others. Pray for that. Know that you are loved infinitely, that nothing matters as much as how much you matter to Christ. The source of both unity and thankfulness should be found in Christ. Otherwise, it tends to merely be manufactured by our own will. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to unify, it has the power of love, it has the power to bring joy and thankfulness when our situation does not seem like it should. The gospel is the way to finding true unity and true thankfulness. And maybe for some introspective reflection, we have to ask ourselves, look inside ourselves and see what we see. Are we unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we show that unity through love? Are we thankful for Christ's gift and work of salvation on the cross? Yes? No? It may be necessary for us to examine what our hearts are. Are they ours or are they Christ's? Have we pulled ownership back from him and are we trying to manufacture unity and love through our own will? Maybe we need to recommit to the fact that the gospel, his, his work on the cross, is the only thing. It's only in full commitment and submission to the gospel that we can have authentic love, unity, and thankfulness.
This might feel impossible, but I don't think it is. Thank you.